Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. Now I hope you're all having a great day so far. And if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to episode 18 of my sixth season. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. My name is Sonal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, wait a minute. Did I just say it's August 31st? What? (laughs) How can this be the end of summer already? I mean, technically, we still have a couple more weeks, right? When the calendar says fall starts. But growing up in the U.S. and going through 18 years of school and then college and then graduate school, my mind says summer is from June through August, and that's it. But anyway, you guys, I've got a lot to get into today, so I'm going to be diving into my compliance tips and recommendations today on lab tests. And of course, you know what it is. It's the last day of the month, the last Wednesday of the month also, and it's my favorite month-end episode where I'm going to be discussing highlights from the month of August's criminal and civil enforcement cases that involve fraud, waste, and abuse. And I'm going to round out today's episode with the remarkable quote on vision and leadership by Kat Cole. So if you checked me out on LinkedIn, you guys know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and our valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help all of your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and my recommendations based on my over 12 years of experience in front office, in back end, in coding, and in billing for multi-specialty physicians, in compliance, and in auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into Newsworthy, the month's fraud, waste, and abuse cases. The month of August saw 32 cases as of the recording of this episode. Now, early August saw an attorney general announcing an indictment of a physician for defrauding Medicaid and subjecting his patients to invasive and medically unnecessary testing. For years, this particular physician allegedly ran a kickback scheme where he bribed other physicians for patient referrals, subjected some of those patients to tests and to procedures that they did not need, and then caused false claims to be submitted to Medicaid for those tests. The physician, through his corporation, operated a diagnostic radiology center. Now, he was charged with grand larceny in the third degree, healthcare fraud in the third degree, eight counts of falsifying business records in the first degree, and three counts of violating the social services law statute prohibiting the payment of kickbacks related to the provision of services under the state's Medicaid program, all felony charges. Now, from January of 2006 to August of 2017, 
this particular physician allegedly gave gift cards, cash, and checks, totaling more than $547,000 to three physicians in exchange for the physician's referrals of patients, including Medicaid patients, to the Diagnostic Radiology Center. Now, this particular Diagnostic Radiology Center received more than $1 million in paid claims relating to those patient referrals from those three physicians. Now, in addition to this kickback scheme from January of 2014 through August of 2017, the physician allegedly directed his employees at the Diagnostic Radiology Center to add additional unordered radiological procedures to orders submitted by referring physicians to increase the amount of money the Diagnostic Radiology Center would receive from Medicaid. Now, he allegedly, excuse me, he allegedly defrauded Medicaid and subjected patients to medically unnecessary and often invasive radiological testing without the direction, consent, or approval of the referring physicians responsible for the underlying care of those patients. The additional unnecessary tests included MRIs of the brain, cervical spine, and lumbar spine, all with contrast, which required subjecting patients to unnecessary and invasive injections. The physician then directed his staff to submit claims for payment to Medicaid for those medically unnecessary tests. Now, early August also saw a nurse practitioner who was sentenced to prison, ordered to pay more than $1.6 million in restitution in a complex telemedicine fraud scheme. Here, the nurse was sentenced to 87 months in prison after a U.S. District Court jury convicted her of participating in an illegal kickback conspiracy and five counts each of healthcare fraud, false statements related to healthcare, and aggravated identity theft. She was also ordered to pay over $1.6 million in restitution and to serve three years of supervised release after completion of her prison term. There is no parole in the federal system. Now, as described in court documents and testimony, this particular nurse practitioner facilitated orders for more than 3,000 orthotic braces that generated more than $3 million in fraudulent or excessive charges to Medicare. Co-conspirators captured the identities of senior citizens, identified through telemarketing schemes, and bundled that information as leads. She then signed her name to fake medical records in which she falsely claimed she provided examinations of those patients. And then, in exchange for money, she created orders for orthotic braces for patients she never met nor spoke with, including a knee brace for an amputee and a back brace for a recently deceased patient and for other durable medical equipments. Now, her fraudulent orders were then sold to companies to generate reimbursement from Medicare. Mid-August saw a disturbing case involving a woman arrested for ripping out a disabled patient's hair. Now, a local Mufuku announced the arrest of a care provider for abusing an adult with disabilities. According to the Mufuku investigation, this care provider dragged an adult with disabilities directly by the hair, tearing out several braids in the process. 
The Mafuku investigation revealed that during an altercation in a private developmental care facility, the care provider dragged an adult with disabilities by the hair to the point of pulling the hair out, leaving a bald spot with redness and blood on the patient's scalp. The care provider was arrested on one count of abuse of an elderly or disabled adult, a third-degree felony. If convicted, the care provider faces up to five years in prison and $5,000 in fines. Mid-August saw yet another disturbing case involving a dental clinic operator and another manager charged in $6 million worth of pediatric dental Medicaid fraud and kickback schemes. Here, the indictment alleges the operator and other employees submitted false and fraudulent claims to Medicaid for dental services such as cavity fillings that were never provided as billed. The operator and the manager also allegedly paid kickbacks to marketers and caregivers of children, Medicare's insurers, to bring them to the dental clinic for dental services. The operator also employed at least one individual to practice pediatric dentistry without a license, and build Medicaid for their services, according to the charges. The indictment further alleges the operator laundered Medicaid monies from the dental clinic business bank account to his personal bank account in several transactions exceeding $100,000. From 2019 to 2021, the dental company allegedly billed Medicaid for nearly $6.9 million for which Medicaid paid approximately $4.9 million. Many of the dental services were simply not provided or were administered by unlicensed and non-enrolled individuals. If convicted, the operator and manager face up to five years in federal prison for conspiracy to pay and receive kickbacks. The operator also faces up to 10 years for conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and each count of health care fraud and money laundering. All charges also carry a possible $250,000 maximum fine. Mid-August also saw a hospice agreeing to pay nearly $1 million to settle false claims liability. The settlement resolves allegations that the hospice and palliative care center knowingly submitted false claims from May 12th of 2017 through January 31st, 2022. The claims allegedly involved hospice services for patients who were not eligible for and did not qualify for the hospice benefit in violation of the False Claims Act. Hospice care is special, end-of-life care intended to comfort the terminally ill patients. To be eligible for the Medicare hospice benefit, a patient must be terminally ill, meaning that the patient has a medical prognosis that their life expectancy is six months or less if the illness runs its normal course. Details are limited, but this case involved a whistleblower who will receive 16% of the proceeds of of this particular settlement with the hospice center. And of course, there were also many, many of the usual suspects like more opioids distributors, overprescribing, kickbacks, bribery schemes, DME fraud, even more elder abuse, big pharma in the hot seat, and money laundering. But I wanted to pay particular attention to a Stivax case that caught my attention. 
Here, a doctor and the medical practice agrees to pay nearly $2 million to resolve allegations of health care fraud. Both the physician and his corporation have agreed to pay just shy of $2 million to resolve allegations that they violated the False Claims Act by submitting millions of dollars of false claims to Medicare for surgically implanted neurostimulators and pain kickbacks to sales marketers. According to this particular settlement, the physician and his medical corporation admitted that even though they did not perform surgery or implant or implant neurostimulators, they admitted that they instead taped a disposable electroacupuncture device called Stivax to their patient's ears. Stivax devices do not require surgical implantation and are not reimbursable by Medicare. The government alleges that this conduct violated the False Claims Act. The doctor and his medical corporation also admitted that they paid a marketing company a percentage of the reimbursements they received from Medicare for billing implantable neurostimulators in return for the marketing company arranging for and recommending that patients order Stivax from them. The United States alleges that this conduct violated the anti-kickback statute and the False Claims Act. In addition to paying the civil settlement, the doctor and his medical corporation have agreed to enter into an integrity agreement with the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, the HHS OIG. Now, the integrity agreement requires that they implement specific compliance measures, including training on applicable healthcare fraud laws and contracting with an independent review organization that will conduct third-party audits of the medical necessity of their Medicare claims. All right. Wow, right? So another whopper of a month. This August contained a lot, a lot of juicy, juicy fraud cases. But this is yet another Stivax case, right? That is trickled in once again. I really, really, really did think that we could be done with these Stivax cases. Pretty naive of me, right? Um, now, I know I've discussed several of these types of Stivax or other brand name electroacupuncture devices on past podcast seasons. And it really is a product that Medicare does not cover. But when our providers are instructed by these marketing companies or the device vendors or the consulting companies to code for the product, with CPT and HICPICS codes that do not describe the service, that do not describe the supply, they are not capturing the actual service and supply rendered and given. Again, it is simply a Medicare non-covered electroacupuncture device being taped to the ear. There is no cutting involved. There is no surgical suite. There is no surgeon. There is no anesthesia that is given. So I hope you too have found one or more of these cases most interesting. Remember, I do my very best each and every month trying to highlight those cases that I find piques my curiosity. I try my best to provide solid guidance and advice to my providers to be mindful of correct coding and compliant billing practices to avoid joining these very serious these very public and often very hefty outcomes. 
I always believe these types of fraud, waste, and abuse cases are most helpful. So please take a deeper look into these reports and see how they may affect you, your provider, your facility. Start self-auditing your service claims and coordinating documentation to ensure you are meeting compliance. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's compliance tip, I wanted to get us all back to basics and focus on lab tests. Now, these are the lab tests that are the broad category of Part B services, which includes HCPCS codes for pathology and lab services. Examples of these types of services are those urine drug screenings, those medication assays, those genetic tests, those tissue exams, those blood tests, and so many more. Now, remember, the providers who need to be in the know here are our physicians and non-physician practitioners, those NPPs, who write the requisitions up or those orders for lab tests. Now, let's look at some denial reasons for lab tests. So the Medicare fee-for-service, the FFS, improper payment rate for lab tests, right? All of those other non-Medicare fee schedule tests for the 2020 reporting period is 18.9%, which is representing a projected improper payment amount of $732 million. Now, most of these improper payments, according to Medicare, are for insufficient documentation, once again. So how do we make bulletproof documentation then, right, and prevent these types of denials from actually happening? So you actually must meet these conditions. There are three of them. So the first one is you, the physician or the NPP who's treating the patient must order those lab tests. That's the physician who provides a consultation or treats the patient for a specific medical problem and then uses those results in the management of the patient's specific medical problem. Now, tests you have not ordered for treating the patient are not reasonable and not necessary. Number two, the second condition that must be met is that you must be keeping documentation of medical necessity in the patient's medical record when you're ordering the service. And then the third condition is that the entity who's submitting the claim must keep that documentation it got from you, the doctor or the NPP, that documentation showing accurate processing of the order and submission of the claim and diagnostic or other medical information that you supplied to the laboratory, including any ICD-10 CM code or narrative description that was supplied. And what about the orders? Let's go over some of the musts for orders. So order requirements for diagnostic lab tests are met if there are three things. So the first condition has to be met is for a signed order or signed requisition listing the specific test. Or number two, if there's an unsigned order or an unsigned lab requisition listing specific test that you'll perform, and it has to also include that there is an authenticated medical record that supports your intent to order the tests. 
So again, even if it's an unsigned order or an unsigned lab requisition listing out those specific tests, somewhere in the medical record, that has to be authenticated with your intent to order those types of tests, like you're going to be ordering labs or checking blood or you're repeating the urine. And then finally, third, this condition has to be met, that there's an authenticated medical record that supports your intent to order the specific tests. And of course, don't forget you have multiple ways to deliver an order. So the first way is, of course, your written and signed document, which is hand-delivered or mailed or faxed to the testing facility. We don't require, CMS does not require signatures on orders for clinical diagnostic tests that are paid on the basis of the clinical lab fee schedule, the physician fee schedule, or physician pathology services. And then the second way that you can deliver an order is by a phone call by you, the physician or the NPP or your office to the testing facility. And then finally, your third way of communicating that order is by an email by you or your office to the testing facility. So I think it's really as simple as that, in my opinion. Just make sure that your EMR has the capability of capturing those order notes, right? There has to be a place for the fact that you emailed or you called in the order on, for example, June 1st, 2022 to someone named Georgina over at the ABC testing facility, right? It's a matter of making sure that all of these details are housed within the patient's encounter, or there's some sort of a link in the EMR that takes you to the order itself. Now, remember, someone on your team needs to know where the information is stored in the EMR so the payer can then receive sufficient documentation. And we can start seeing these numbers of insufficient documentation go down. It's fundamental, if you have Medicare as a payer, to keep your eye on correct and compliant coding and billing practices and make sure that you are adhering to all of them. So a better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus Season 6's spark on vision and leadership. I want this sixth season spark to be filled with the world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for clarity and focus in all that we do. So in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from COO and president of Focus Brands, Kat Cole. Leadership is about the team, the culture they keep, and embrace. It's about empathy for your customers, clients, employees, and the communities where you do business. It's about doing the right thing for the right reasons, being confident enough to take risks and responsible enough to think of those who your decisions and risks may affect. So very true, right? 
I mean, I think this is an amazing quote that reminds us that good leadership embraces the whole team. I think this quote reminds us that when we find those good leaders, we need to really lean in and listen, respect, and embrace. This quote inspires us to look deeper. Can we be those types of leaders with integrity as well as compassion for their team as a whole, as well as individually? I think this quote reminds us that we are the leaders and the visionaries in our own lives. We are all most capable of learning and growing from all of our respective and collective environments, all of our stresses and all of our breaking points to become even better. We can strive to become one of the great leaders. I'm happy Cat Cole's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. All right, you guys. Now in my final fun note today, it's pumpkin spice time, isn't it? I know you're all looking around as you're driving to get groceries and your coffee runs. It's pumpkin spice season already. I'm all about it. I miss it. I need it. I love it. I wish it stuck around all year. But anyways, you guys, please have an amazing week ahead and outstanding start to September. Remember, keep carving out some time for yourselves to prevent full-blown stress and burnout. And of course, please continue staying safe and healthy. Thank you all so much for listening in on today's episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.